Amen. Amen. Well, listen, if you're thankful for grace, can you say amen today? And uh, if it wasn't for grace, and uh, we would not be here. None of us would be here today if it wasn't for the grace uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's what we get to sing about, and that's why we've gathered uh, here uh, to lift up high the name of God, the creator of all, who extended his grace to each one of us. Great singing here today, and uh, I just want to say thank you so much for uh, for being in our service here today. I do want to uh, understand that uh, several times I meet people for the very first time on Sundays. I do want to echo what Pastor David said. Take one of those new here cards, and uh, you can fill that out right now if you want to, and you're not going to hurt my feelings, and that's just an opportunity for us to connect with you after the service, and so if you didn't do that on your way in, take one of those cards in the seat back in front of you, pop by our well Welcome Center. We would love to meet you and to greet you and uh, connect a little bit better uh, with you uh, here uh, this morning. Well, listen, it is so good uh, to see you. I am so glad that you are here. And um, we have a lot of our staff is out of town. Our school has not been in session the last couple of days of this week because our staff goes to a convention every year down at Myrtle Beach. They're suffering for Jesus down there. And uh, and then there's uh, many of them who stay over. They use this as a long weekend. And uh, so they stay over through Sunday. Uh, so we have a bunch of families out of town here today, and um, each of them might get a bonus if I find out that they tuned in online, but we'll see. So I'm just kidding. And uh, But no, um, I appreciate you uh, being a part. I do ask that you pray for many of them traveling back this afternoon uh, to start back with school. Uh, here uh, um, t tomorrow. Well, listen, we're uh, doing something a little bit different. This is kind of uh, what we call a standalone, or what I call like a standalone sermon. I know I love to preach through uh, different series, and uh, we normally do between a four, six, eight-week type series from time to time. And uh, last week, we concluded our uh, series on the armor of God, and uh, and then I was kind of looking ahead and praying and thinking through kind of where we wanted to go, and homecoming is next week, and I uh, so we're going to do something just unique in the message. Uh, it'll be a, a sermon specifically about God's goodness and, and his faithfulness to us for all these different years as we celebrate our birthday. And so I was thinking about this one day, uh, today, October 1st, and uh, began praying about what we could, we could learn about. And, uh, and God just kind of began to impress upon me about um, how Christians, um, those within the church, uh, treat uh, one another from time to time. And here's what's amazing, and I'm going to be very direct with you uh, as your pastor today. Um, we're going to talk about repairing broken relationships, all right? Now, that's a fun topic to talk about, right? You guys want to go back to the armor of God? Well, yeah, I guess we could go backwards or something. A little bit more fun to talk about, but we're going to talk about repairing broken uh, relationships in the church. And I've been a part of the church my entire life. My parents raised me in church. And one thing that is amazing to me is that church people, uh, Christ followers, who gather every Sunday in churches like this one all throughout our community, here's what's amazing to me is we gather together a lot of times in churches. We get it right on a lot of things like we get it right on hey we're going to be there when those doors are open aren't we and we're going to you know we're not going to cuss and we're not going to do all the all the bad things well some of you probably do but that's beside the point and uh, but we're not going to do all these bad things as long as I don't go out and get drunk as long as I don't go out and do whatever it is you know we kind of as church people we get that right but if there's one thing that I feel, and I'm just going to be straightforward with you that church people get wrong a lot of times it's how we in the body of Christ, should treat one another. 
Like, I, you know how many people I've talked to who uh, they have a problem with somebody and they just live with that problem never being reconciled? Never. Church people, these are Christ followers. People who worship and gather on Sunday and lift high the name of Jesus, maybe shout an amen every now and then and things like that, but they leave here with, with unreconciled relationships with people. And they, they say, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church every time the doors are open, but yet we sometimes struggle with how we are to treat people. And that's what we're going to talk about today from uh, the New Testament. In fact, this is one of the uh, smallest uh, books uh, in Scripture. Uh, it's one of five books that only have, uh, contains one chapter. It's in the New Testament. Can anybody tell me what book of the Bible that's going to be? Book of Philemon, all right, the book of Philemon, and so I'm going to go ahead and tell you uh, to find the book of Philemon, and as you're turning there, many of you are probably in your head quoting the New Testament books of the Bible to find out um, where the book of Philemon uh, is. So if you can find Timothy, which is a little bit more common, go over to your right, a couple of pages past Titus, and you will eventually find yourself in Philemon. It'll probably take up one page of your Bible, uh, depending on how large the print is uh, on your uh, in your scripture, okay? And for some of you, it might take up six or seven pages. We don't know, all right? And uh, so this is um, a, a very brief Short book of the Bible, one chapter, 25 verses, 339 words uh, here in this, and we're going to look at all of those. And I'll say this by way of introduction, due to its size, uh, this book is often overlooked. If I was to go around the room here today and say, does anybody have a memory verse that you learned growing up from the book of Philemon. I'd be surprised if any of you are like, oh yeah, you know, it's not like the book of Philippians or the book of Ephesians or the book of Romans where we have so many different verses memorized. The book of Philemon is often overlooked because of its size. In fact, I would venture to say there's some of you that have absolutely no idea what the book of Philemon is even about today. And I'll tell you this, that is totally okay because by the end of this, over the next 25, 30 minutes, um, we're going to talk about it and I hope you'll leave here with a better understanding of the book and how you can apply uh, this book of Scripture to your, uh, your life. The Apostle Paul, he wrote uh, this book as a, as a letter. Uh, it's a very brief letter, and he wrote it while he was in prison in Rome. In fact, many people think that this was his first imprisonment uh, there in Rome. And, uh, and while he was in Rome as a, as a prisoner, he meets this man uh, who was a fugitive, and his name was Onesimus. Let's all say that just for fun together on three. One, two, three. Onesimus. And he meets this man by the name of Onesimus while he's in Rome. And like I said, Onesimus was a fugitive. He has ran uh, from a man by the name of Philemon, which the Apostle Paul knew Philemon. And he actually led Philemon um, to, to the Lord many years before this. And here's what's interesting. He led Philemon to the Lord. And now you'll find out in verse number 2, I believe it's verse number 2 here as we look at it, is that Philemon is actually leading a church in his household. 
And what happened was Philemon was very well known. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of servants. And what happened, one of his servants, servants was a man by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus stole some possessions and some money from Philemon. He stole from him his master, and when he did that, he fled as a fugitive and found himself moving from Colossae, which was where Philemon was. He was there, and now he fled and found himself in Rome. And isn't it interesting how God works? While in Rome, he meets a man by the name of Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. But he had never been reconciled back to his master Philemon. And so Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul leads Onesimus, this fugitive who had just stole a lot of money and possessions and has nothing to pay this guy back. And he tells the Apostle Paul all of this. The Apostle Paul pins these verses and he hands Onesimus a letter the book of Philemon, and he hands it to him along with the book of Colossians, and he says, hey, you need to take, as you go back to Colossae, take the book of Colossians uh, to Colossae, and then you need to find Philemon, and you need to hand him this letter, these 25 verses, and that's what's found here uh, in this passage. Let's read it together. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. To our beloved Aphia and Archippus, um, those are, if you're pregnant and you're looking for baby names, here you go, okay? These are some good options. You can grow up at the baseball field with your kids and just be yelled, go Archippus, and everybody look at you like, what in the world? And um, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So there you see Philemon, he was a church leader. The man that this is written to, the man with unresolved conflict in his life, he is leading a church. That's very important that you remember that. Verse number three, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the, all the saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you uh, in Christ Jesus. In other words, verse number six, and I know the Apostle Paul sometimes um, it, it can be difficult to understand exactly what he's trying to do. Verse number six, what he's saying is that he wants Philemon, this church leader, to put into action the work of Christ that is in him. In other words, what Jesus had done for him Remember what it says at the end of verse 6, which is in you in Christ Jesus. What Jesus has done in the heart of Philemon, the Apostle Paul is begging and urging him to do to the people around him, to live out what Jesus had gifted him. Verse number 7, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by the brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, Philemon, if I may, I'm going to be very bold in this letter to you asking that you reconcile your relationship with this other uh, brother in, in Christ. Verse number 9, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such and one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beg thee for my son Onesimus, 
whom I have begotten in my my bonds. Now he calls him his son. He wasn't his physical son. What the Apostle Paul is saying is he is his spiritual son. He's the one who led Onesimus to Christ there in Rome, and now he considers him his spiritual uh, father, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Now this verse, verse number 11, is very important for you to understand the story and also to live out uh, your life. Names in Scripture meant something. Okay, you can look throughout Scripture, and usually, you know, um, the name that they were given meant something. If you look in the Old Testament, remember Abraham uh, meant like father, and or Abram meant father, and then Abraham meant father of many, and that meant something because God was going to give him the nation of Israel, a bunch of uh, descendants after that. Well, here Onesimus, the word Onesimus in the Greek actually means profitable or useful, and so in verse number eleven he says. Paul, he says, in time past, Onesimus was unprofitable, okay? But now, remember, because of what Jesus did in his heart, he is now profitable to thee and to me. In other words, now, because of what Jesus did, he can live out this profitable, useful life for the work of God. But before he needs to be sent out and do the work of God, he needs to be reconciled and to deal with the unresolved conflict that is in his life with his former master, Philemon. Verse number 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, receive Onesimus, that is my own bowels. In other words, he's telling Philemon, I want you now to receive Onesimus, the guy who stole from you, the guy who, who, who took your possessions. I want you to receive him the same way that you would receive me. Wow. What, a, what an ask. And, and I'll go back to say, yeah, the Apostle Paul, verse number 8, yeah, it's bold. That's a bold request. Really? If I was Philemon and I'm reading this letter, it's like, you want me, the guy who stole from me, the guy who took my possessions, the guy that I can't trust anymore, you want me to receive him the same way that, that I would receive you, the one who led me to Christ? goes on in verse number 13, whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now, and this is so good, this is when uh, Onesimus, he tears about his faith. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother, beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and of the Lord. In other words, you need to receive him as a brother in Christ. Now, because, because God had miraculously saved Onesimus, and, and now Philemon, who was already a believer, a follower of Christ, now they can be reconciled as brothers in, in Christ. Verse number 17, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as, as myself. In other words, he says, If we are partners in the gospel. In other words, this has the weight of him saying, if you're really a follower of Christ, this is how you'll act. If, if, you really, if you really believe what you say you believe, then you'll receive Onesimus. 
if you really mean all those people that come to your house and you study the Bible and you teach them and you lead them and you shepherd that, that church house that you have, if you really believe everything you're saying, then yeah, you'll, you'll receive the guy that, that stole from you, that you don't trust anymore. You'll receive him if you really believe it. And I'll tell you this, church, if you really believe everything you sing about on Sunday, and you really believe everything you amen about on Sunday, if you really believe everything we look at in here, then we should, like Philemon, receive people, even when there's wrong, as brothers in Christ. Verse 18, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee all, the apostle Paul lays it on thick. He says, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord, having confidence in thy obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging. In other words, hey, I'm going to visit you soon. Prepare me a place, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto, unto you. And then he closes the letter, uh, the letter here. Now, this book is all about repairing a broken relationship. And I want to be very direct here today. The moment that we say repair a broken relationship or we use the word reconcile a relationship, I, I know I've been around church, so you can, you can hide this all you want, but here's what we usually do. We immediately put up a wall around us and the situation that we have been involved in. We begin to justify or we feel that our situation, whatever happened to you or whatever somebody else did to you, we feel as if our situation is different and it does not apply to what the scripture says here that we should, that we should do. And, and, and listen, I want you to know we are going to talk directly about it. For some of you today, it's a marriage relationship. It could be that your spouse has abused you physically or emotionally. It could be that your spouse cheated on you or hurt you in some other capacity. For some of you today, it's your parents. Your relationship has been destroyed because of hurtful things said to you or hurtful things done to you. Some of you still remember the piercing words that a mom or dad or somebody, a guardian, said to you when you were young, and you've been holding that on in your life ever since. For others, it could be a friend that stabbed you in the back, a friend that one time you guys were best friends, and now that friend found somebody else and kind of left you in the dust, or, or they talked about you when you weren't around. They hurt you in some capacity. It could be a workplace relationship where at some point you were working and you had a great relationship with a coworker, but something happened where they did you wrong and now you have carried the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the unreconciliation in your life all the way up to this, this point. For some of you, it might be the church. You feel that the church did you wrong. Or there's another church in our area, and that's why you're here today, because that church did something to you, and they said something about you, and they hurt you. And I want you to know, listen, we all have been hurt or wronged by someone. 
How many of you just by show of hands say, I've been wronged by somebody in my life? Be honest, okay? We all have. I don't need you to unveil your, your dirty laundry about it. But I want you, for the next few minutes that we have together, I want you to think about that situation. And I want you to look at your life if you have completely forgiven that person. I'm going to tell you a story, and then we'll jump into our outline today. Now, I've used this story before, but anytime that I'm talking about uh, repairing a broken relationship or unforgiveness, I always use this story because it's so dear to me, because I've experienced this um, really, you know, in little cases, but I've experienced this one time where I would consider this was a life-changing moment for me when it comes to repairing a broken relationship. I graduated college in 2007, and when I graduated uh, with my undergrad degree in youth ministry, I ended up, I had no job offers except for one job offer, and uh, and my job offer was the church that I grew up in. And what better situation to go in as a brand new youth pastor, brand spanking new, straight out of college, you're going to somewhere. I didn't have to learn anybody new. I knew every single person in this church. I knew all the young people in this church. This is going to be a match made in heaven. This church, a lot of the older people had watched me as a kid, and we have great relationships, and I think this is going to be just a a marvelous thing. So in 2007, I graduated. I came straight home. Within three weeks of graduation, I started at my home church in Ashboro, and I was the youth pastor there. Everything was awesome from day one. It was incredible. And I had the just the best situation. I talked to other guys who would go to other places where they had no job, job offers, and, uh, and they would just look at me and envy the opportunity that I had that was in front of, of me. Well, shortly after that, about six months into that job, it was amazing, six months in, my pastor that I had grown up with my whole childhood, he actually passed away of cancer. It came out of nowhere, and they found it when it was really too late, and he passed away pretty quickly. Well, after that, we went through a typical search process where you need to find a new pastor. And uh, and so we went through a search process, much like what this church had to go through a few years ago. And uh, and during that process, we got a a guy in, and he was awesome, and and we all loved him, and the church loved him. And and we got to this point, the vote happened, and any time in a Baptist church, you never know how a vote's going to go, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, so we were wondering how this was going to go, and it went great. And I was like, man, God is just, he is over this, and his hand is in this, and everything was awesome. And then he came on uh, staff there, and we began to work together. And shortly after, and I'm just putting it all out there for you because I want you to understand, and I don't want to hold anything back to you today because I really want any wall that you put up about unforgiveness in your life, I want you to break that down today, and that's why I'm trying to tell you this story. We ended up really quickly finding out that we are not going to work well together. I'll just tell you that. It wasn't good. I didn't want to be around him because of some things he was saying. He didn't want to be around me because he didn't like my philosophy of ministry. And it was just a bad situation, and it got nasty. And and many of you have been in churches like this. Here's what it basically boiled down to. Every time I would attend a service at church, which, I mean, I was on staff, so I was every week, I would go in, and uh, and this is what would happen. And somebody would corner me in the hallway and ask me about what's going on. There's friction. There's tension in the church, and there's problems, and, and all of this stuff, I would get cornered. I would get thrown into rooms all the time. It got so bad that there was a business meeting one time that I got thrown in front of the church with a microphone stood right in front of my face asking me questions completely off the cuff about it. It It's terrible. It's the worst experience of my life. My wife lived through it. My parents were members of the church. They lived through it, and it was absolutely 
terrible for us. So I was looking to get, I was looking to get out. I couldn't stand the guy that I was working for. I couldn't stand my pastor. I hope none of you feel that way. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. Hated it. So I left. I left and I got a job right here at Union Grove Baptist Church in 2010. And I left. Came straight into ministry, started here. Everything was going good. In fact, God was blessing our ministry. It's good. But there was something in my heart that had never been dealt with. And I'll tell you this. Here's how I knew it, and I want to be very transparent with you. I would never tell this to anybody at that time. Going to my parents' house, my parents still lived in Asheboro at the time. I would drive to my parents' house. This is when I was on staff here as a youth pastor. I would drive to my parents' house, and every time I went to their house, I had to pass that church. And you want to know what I thought the whole time? I would never say it out loud to anybody because I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, a, a pastor. I don't want anybody to think bad of me. I would drive by, and internally, here's exactly what I would think. I hope that church is falling to pieces. You ever felt that way about somebody? Somebody that you're mad at? Somebody who did something to you, and the most painful thing to you is thinking that they might succeed. I would drive by, and I would think, man, I hope nobody's coming. I hope they're not meeting budget. I hope all the families that I impacted, I hope they've all found other churches in Asheboro. I hope that that pastor is discouraged. I was, I was a terrible human being. <laughs> I would drive by, and I'd think that every single time. About a year later, after I had left there, I, I was preaching here on a Wednesday night, and it was a Tuesday, I believe. I was studying for this message Tuesday morning, and I was like, I, can't, I was preaching on forgiveness. And I was like, you know what? There is no way that I can stand before a group of people and talk about something that I have absolutely no concept of. I didn't know what to do. I deleted the guy's number. I literally cared, could care less if I ever saw or spoke to him again. I would avoid any restaurant that I knew he liked in Asheboro. I, if, he, if I knew he liked a store, I would never go there, ever, because I hated him. Well, I didn't know what to do with this, so I was like, the only thing I have is an email address. <laughs> so I pulled, like, had a laptop. I, 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 before I was, while I was studying, I, I wrote him this long email. And I told him, I'm sorry, and I wish that I could look at you and make everything right. And I had no idea what would ever happen with that email. So I, I did that. I went to lunch, and like most pastors' lunches, I was gone for about two hours. <laughs> I come back, and I remember I was in a church van, and I was with some students um, of mine, and I was in a church van, and we pull into the parking lot here, and I knew I recognized that truck that was in the church office parking lot. And I was like, okay, he must have got my email. I was like, we're either going to fight, which I know I will lose, <laughs> or we're going to be able to make this right. And I said to God, I remember walking across the parking lot and across I-40 out in front here, and um and, and I walked across, and um, if you don't work here, you don't understand that every time I cross this, it's like I-40 out here. It's like, I mean, everywhere, you know. And um, I walked across, and I remember praying to the Lord, God, I prayed that I could make this right face-to-face. -face. 
why on earth would you ever make me do this? I went up to him, and we made everything right from that point. And, and we hugged each other, and I had the opportunity to go back to that church and tell a lot of people sorry face-to-face, and I got a chance to preach at that church several times since then. We're friends to this day. I have never understood the power of forgiveness more than in that moment. It was almost as if I really felt that we understood deeper the gospel than ever in my life. I'd been around church my whole life. I knew every answer to to most everything asked in my Sunday school class. I got it. But it was the first time in my whole life where I felt that what Jesus did for me changed me so much that I was willing to demonstrate the same thing that he gave me to anybody in my, my life. For some of you, you have not got to that point. And my prayer today is that you'd leave here and be at that point. That's the prayer. That's the message of the book. Every single one of us have been wronged by somebody. And Paul writes this letter to somebody who, who could care less if he ever saw this man by the name of Onesimus again because he stole from him. He, he was wrong. He had every reason to hate Onesimus. He had every reason to be wrong and hold a grudge and harbor unforgiveness All of those things. He had every reason to do it. Nobody in this book is arguing if Onesimus was right or wrong. Of course he was wrong. Of course Philemon was was right and, and had a reason to be upset at him. But in this letter, Paul, as the peacemaker, comes and says, Hey, listen, you really mean what you preach about at this house church? If you do, then what Jesus has done for you you will do for others. The first thing I want you to see is what, or the description of repairing broken relationships. I I want you to understand this about broken relationships, and we all have them. The world outside is looking inside the church to see if the gospel really works. I'm telling you, there's a lost and dying world right outside here, and here's what they're curious about. They're wondering if the gospel that you and I proclaim, that when they see you drive out of the driveway every single Sunday and you show up at a place like this, they know where you're at. What they want to see is, does the gospel really work? And by the way, the gospel, it's easy to work when we're all getting along. But the true test of if the gospel has changed your life is when you experience a difficult relationship and what is the gospel going to impact there. That's what the world wants to see. They want to see if the gospel can work and make a difference in the difficult relationships, not just the easy relationships. And so repairing broken relationships, it requires dealing with unresolved conflicts. That's what you find here in verses 8 through 12. You can find here that, that, that Paul is asking Philemon, listen, you cannot go forward. Neither of you can go forward in your relationship until that relationship is repaired, until that relationship is restored. 
That's what he's asking for. And many of us, we're trying to go forward in our relationship with God, and we're trying to lead, and we're trying to do different things in the church, and we have this unresolved conflict that is in front of us. And Paul's saying, listen, before you can go forward, you got to deal with this. Listen, wounds in a relationship are damaging to everyone. But I'll tell you this, here's what I've learned. The healthier that I am relationally and spiritually, the healthier, healthier I will be emotionally. You want to know why some of you are depressed, why some of you feel like you have no friends, why some of you are, are anxious, why some of you are what? It's probably tied to some relationship where there is unresolved conflict in it. You probably can trace that back is that the reason you feel nobody cares about you is because of something happened in your childhood with somebody. Or, or the reason why you don't feel like anybody loves you is because of a marriage relationship that went bad. Or you feel as a child like, like you're not accepted because a parent put a lot of pressure on you as a kid or right now in your life and you feel like you're trying to live up to something and somebody's hurt you. Listen, wounds in a relationship are damaging to everybody. But the healthier you are spiritually will lead you to healthy relationships which will in turn make you healthy emotionally. Listen, repairing broken relationships, it gives us the opportunity to put the gospel on display for the world. The second thing I want you to see real quick is this, the need for repairing broken relationships. I, I'm going to kind of give you a couple of rapid fire things before I get into something I really want to share at the end. Repaired relationships are essential for emotional health. In fact, the book of Proverbs talks about this. Proverbs chapter 17, there's a very good verse that you need to look at, especially if you have unresolved conflict in your life. Here's what it says. It teaches us that a broken spirit, you know what it does? Dries your bones. You wonder why you're feeling dry? Why you don't feel like anything's working? Why you show up at church every Sunday and you leave here diff no different than the last Sunday? The reason why you might be dry is because you have unresolved conflict that you have never, ever dealt with. Number two, repaired relationships are critical to spiritual growth. You see, Philemon and Onesimus' relationship had to be repaired before either of them could move forward in their relationship with Christ. You see, Onesimus was unprofitable, and he could not become profitable and useful until this relationship that was unresolved actually got resolved. You see, unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And bitterness is like a cancer that slowly eats away at your soul. It'll eat away at you and destroy you until you resolve the conflict. You can't move on until you... You forgive. Repaired relationships, number three, bring unity to the body of Christ. Listen, the body of Christ was affected by this unresolved conflict. Every conflict that goes undealt with in the body can affect the body uh, of Christ. Philemon was a leader in the church, 
And by the way, leaders in the church should fight for the unity of the body, not the division. But I want to say this very specifically, that if you're a deacon in our church or if you're a, a leader in our church, you lead a Bible fellowship class, we are the ones that are called by God to lead the way and model what Jesus has told us to do. And if you have unrepaired relationships, then if we want our church to be different, then it's got to start with you. It's got to start with you. You see, that's the point that Paul was making to Philemon. Philemon, you got a house church. you got people coming. You're shepherding part of the flock. You're shepherding part of the body of Christ. How on earth could you do this without accepting Onesimus and forgiving him and repairing this broken relationship in his life? But then thirdly, and this is where I want to share for just a couple minutes, the secret to repairing broken relationships. Here in verses 17, really through 20, you see this, and we read this. We're not going to take the time to read it again. But I want to talk about the secret. How, how do we do that? You might be looking at me and saying, how in the world do you do, you do this? Like, I know for, for me, here's what I struggled. The story I shared earlier, when you're a year removed, I've not seen uh, that pastor in a year. You know what I was thinking and what the enemy was trying to hurl these darts at me? Like, hey, it doesn't matter anymore. It was so long ago. Like, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's fine. Like, don't worry. And I had to deal with all of these emotions and, and stuff so because of the, the length of time or the distance. Like, we never, our paths never have to cross again. It does not matter why I deal with it and all this. And, and so I didn't even know how to go about it. I was like, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to, to write in this email and all these different things were coming, and you might be in here today saying, man, something happened back in high school, or something happened when I was a child, or something happened at my old job, or something happened at my old church that's never been dealt with the way that we are supposed to deal with things as, as Christians. And you might be saying here, how in the world do I get to this point, and where does the power come from to help me actually live this out? Well, if you haven't figured it out, the, the power is found in, in the gospel. And for us to understand the secret to repairing broken relationships in your life, you have to, number one, look at the cross. You have to look at the cross. You see, there's a, a critical turning point for Philemon in this story. And it applies to every single person in here. Philemon was, was wronged. Onesimus wronged. To, to our knowledge, Philemon didn't do anything wrong to Onesimus. Right? Like, Onesimus was the one who stole. For all we know, Philemon, he had all these other servants, and, and he gave Onesimus work and paid him and all this kind of stuff. And then Onesimus has the audacity to steal from a master who was giving him you know, his, you know, his career, if you would. Philemon did absolutely nothing, nothing wrong here in this, this story. He would see himself as, as the one who wronged me. We're going to call that, he's going to see himself as a creditor, right? The, I was wronged. If anybody's going to apologize, it better be them. Because they're the ones who did me wrong. And some of you, that's where you're at today. You've already put up a wall around you when something happened in your life, and you're immediately thinking, no, 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 no. They're the ones who did me wrong. I hope they're paying attention to this sermon. They're not in the room. You probably thought, man, I hope they're watching online today. 
I really wish they were here today. They're the ones who need it. And that's exactly how Philemon felt. Philemon was going on through life, like, hey, I'm leading a church, everything's fine, you know, or whatever. And then here comes a letter delivered by the man who wronged him from the Apostle Paul, who also led Philemon to Christ. And anytime the Apostle Paul, you know, writes you a letter, you better pay a little bit of attention to it. That's one you really need to put a closer ear to. And Philemon opens this letter, and here the Apostle Paul's saying, hey, you need to receive this guy the way that you do. And he's thinking, no, I'm the one. I'm the one who deserves the apology because Onesimus wronged me. You see, the point is the turning point for Philemon is moving from being a creditor, somebody who thinks, hey, they're the ones who did me wrong, to he realized that he was a debtor. You see, he had to move from this idea that, that, that we were the ones that were wrong to the idea that we are in debt to everybody else. And that's what the Apostle Paul, that's what the entire letter is about, is he's telling Philemon that you are in debt. You say, who is he in debt to? Is he in debt to Onesimus? Yes. Here's why. It's because he is forever indebted to the one who completely forgave him of everything that he ever did wrong. And if God loved us enough to forgive Philemon of everything wrong then out of that love, we are called and commissioned and commanded to do the same to everyone else. You see, because we are forever in debt to God, we are forever in debt to every single person that walks on the planet to forgive them. That's the point. But you only find that in the cross. You only find it in the cross. The cross is the standard to how far your forgiveness can go. The cross is the standard by how far your forgiveness should go. Some of you, you're not forgiven that way. I know I wasn't. I was a pastor for crying out loud. I preached every single week to a bunch of teenagers, and in the back of my mind, I hated somebody. And some of you, it's no different than you coming and lifting a hand or saying amen or saying, man, God bless you on Sunday, and you leave here, and you know there's somebody in your life a parent, a spouse, a co-worker, a friend, a child, whatever. And there's somebody in your life that you cannot stand. When they walk into a room, you almost cringe because you don't like them because they did something to you. When you look at the cross, you find that that is the exact life, that we were enemies of God, that we were foreigners in this land. We were his enemies. We were rebellious towards him. And we did some very wrong, bad, sinful, evil things to our father. And in the midst of all of our wrong, in the midst of being wrong, you know what he did? He loved us. He loved you. How foolish are we not to love everybody else. You've got to look at the cross, but you have to live out the gospel. You say, what is the gospel? I know we talk about the gospel, but listen, it's not a sermon if, it's not, if the gospel's not in it. You see, the gospel's the hope of the world. The gospel is what Jesus did for you. It's the fact that in the midst of your rebellion, you see, the gospel, I say this all the time, the gospel is not a story of God coming to you when you were looking for him. You know what the, what the beauty of the gospel is? The most beautiful thing to me about the gospel is the fact that God came to me when I wasn't searching for him. I was rebelling against him. He sought me out when I didn't deserve it. 
He found me when I didn't love him. When I was rebellious and evil and sinful and bad and wicked and everything else. You know what? God said, I love you. And I am going to die on a cross to pay for your sin debt. A debt that was so heavy that I could never, ever repay. There wasn't enough good that I could ever do to ever repay the debt that is in front of me. And what God did was he said, I'm going to send Jesus, the only righteous one to have ever walked on the face of the earth, the only one worthy to stand before a father. I'm going to send him to live a perfect life, to die the death that you deserve, to pay for your sin. And here's the beauty of this. He wiped my slate clean. Everything that I did wrong is gone. It's forgiven. I owe nothing. I owe nothing. And you see the gospel in this story. And the gospel is the standard by which you forgive other people. Uh, Corey Ten Boom wrote a book in 1971. It was published called The Hiding Place. And, and in this book, she talks about her years um, of being and living in a concentration camp and her experiences there with Nazi Germany. And Corey Ten Boom, actually, and her family, they, they saved and rescued many Jews and helped them escape the Nazi Holocaust in World War II. And in 1971, she published this book called The Hiding Place that is all about her experiences after that season of her life. In the book, she recounts a time where she was asked to go to Germany and she was speaking about forgiveness. And she was asked to speak at this place. And while she was speaking there, and you can read this in her book, The Hiding Place, I encourage you to pick it up. She, she actually was there and she saw at the end of her talk, at the end of her speech about forgiveness, she saw a man looking at her. And she stood face to face, and she knew, because she recognized him, she came face to face with a cruel and heartless German guard that she remembers there in Germany. This man, she says in her book, had humiliated and degraded her and her sister. In fact, her sister died there uh, during this season. This man, she says, jeered at her and visually raped her and her sister as they stood in the shower in front of him. She was speaking at this church in Germany when that same guard approached her. And he walks up to her after the speech. And he said to her, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Corey Ten Boom in her book, she said, I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. She said in her book, for I had to do it, I knew that. And yet still, I stood there with the coldness, clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. 
Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. So I prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you have to supply the feeling. So she says in her book, so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder. It raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. She said, I don't know where this came from, but out of my mouth, I said, I forgive you, brother. She said, I cried with all my heart. And then she said this, and that you'll see this up on the screen. She said, I've never known the love of God so intensely as I did in that moment. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discovering all the while that the prisoner all along was you. Was you. Some of you, you have unforgiveness in your life and you don't realize it, that the only one that's in bondage more than anybody else is yourself. It's you. It's you. And today, you can have the opportunity to release it. If it's wombs of a mom or wombs of a dad or wombs of a grandparent or wombs of a, a, a child or a parent, whatever, wombs of a former co-worker of yours, a, a neighbor, somebody in the church. Listen, I, I mean, I pastored this church for two years, and one of the things that I hate hearing more than anything else is when you complain to me about somebody that hurt you back in high school 25 years ago. You see, we have things like, like that that we harbor onto. And when people walk through the doors, we have a, a thought that immediately pops in our head about something that they did to us many years before. And we just refuse to forgive. You say, what do we do with this? You've got to identify the person that you most identify with in the story. For some of you, you're Philemon. You're the one that was wronged. Here's your next step. You need to forgive. You need to go to the person and you need to forgive. Make it right. Reconcile the relationship. Fight for unity. Some of you might identify with Onesimus. You're the one who wronged somebody. And listen, it's hard to admit our wrong, right? It's hard to go to somebody and look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry. But remember, the cross is the standard by which you are to forgive others. And if we're going to, to meet that standard, then nothing that somebody else does to us is unforgivable. you got to ask for forgiveness. Some of you, you're Paul. You're the peacemaker. Like, you need to fight for restoration. When somebody comes to you and complains about somebody else or a family, you need to fight for reconciliation. Be a part of that peacemaker. Not saying you have to write a letter to the person like the Apostle Paul chose to do, but what you need to do is fight to reconcile relationships, restoring the people around you. That's what we need. And then some of you, if you're in here today and you're just like, I can't find the power to do it, I'll just be honest, you might not fully understand the gospel. 
you might not be a Christian. And I don't say that to scare you. All I'm saying is when you get a glimpse of the forgiveness that we have forever experienced in a relationship with God, then everything else what people do to us, it pales in comparison to what we did to him. He's the standard. Nothing is unforgivable. Let's be a church that fights for reconciliation, that makes things right, that fights for peace, and that is quick to forgive because those are the things that Jesus has done for us. Can you bow your heads with me? Would you please stand, heads bowed, hearts lifted in prayer? I poured my, my heart, my story out to you. I don't want anybody looking around, but I want to ask you a question. As our instruments, they can go ahead and start playing when they get into place. But I want to ask you a question today, and I, I want you to be honest, because I was honest before you. You say, Pastor, there is someone in my life that God put on my heart that I have unresolved conflict with in my life. And you say, God spoke to me. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Would you slip up your hand? Okay, I see it. Hands, li listen, guys, don't look around, but there are hands going up everywhere. We're struggling with it. Listen, get it right today, right when you leave. Don't let it wait because here's what the enemy's going to want you to do when you leave here. He's going to say, hey, that was too long ago. Don't do it. You forgot. Hey, eat lunch first, and then you're going to forget about it. No, 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 right after this. You can do it right here if somebody's in this place. Reconcile it. Don't post about them on Facebook, hoping that they see it and things like that. No, no, no. That's not the answer. Reconcile relationships. Make it right. Don't just sit there and harbor it. That's killing and destroying you. I'm going to pray for you, and if God speaks to you, you can come to the altar. You can pray where you're at, wherever God leads you. But I want you to do business with God. Father, Lord, I'm so grateful for the forgiveness that I've experienced and I'm grateful for the forgiveness that you've given me. And let that be the standard of my heart and how I treat other people. God, bless in this invitation time. Give people the courage to make a decision and to move and to go to people and to make things right today. For it's in your name we pray. If God speaks to you, you come. The altar's open. Nobody's going to judge you. Listen, I was a pastor deep in sin of unforgiveness. And I'm grateful that nobody judged me. But if God speaks to you, you need to do something about it. Make it right. If you're a young person here and something happened at school, make it right. Make it right. Don't, don't harbor unforgiveness. Go to the person. Look them in the eye. Forgive them because that's what Jesus has done for you.